On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will ever live. I apologize. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord and my Redeemer. Amen. 
So we're just going to start by looking at the context um, of uh, this passage that was read. Obviously, we have to look at just a little bit at the um, beginning of chapter 11. And from the beginning of chapter 11, Jesus is speaking now no longer to the crowds, but he's speaking to his disciples and to, um, and to these sisters uh, who lived in Bethany. And basically what's happened is that the two sisters have sent a message to Jesus. The one you love, their brother Lazarus, the one you love is ill. And the obvious implication of that message was that because Jesus loved Lazarus, that he would leave everything and go there and heal him from that illness. But actually, Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't immediately go. In fact, he stays two more days And during those two days, Lazarus dies. When we have deep, urgent needs, we want the Lord to meet those needs when we pray. But sometimes there's a delay in that prayer being answered. And so it is here. There is a delay. And Jesus said, told his disciples, this illness, this is verse 4, This illness is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. The delays of Jesus are mostly the delays of love. He has a reason for those delays. And the result of those delays is intended to be that because we're trusting him during that time, our love for him is growing. It's very fascinating when you just look back in chapter 11. You've got your Bible with them. Do open it at um, John chapter 11. This is verses 5 to 6. It says this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, therefore in the Greek it says, so when he heard that Lazarus ill, he stayed where he was more than two days. You'd expect it to be the opposite. So he immediately left everything and went there to heal him. It's very interesting, isn't it? And this is what I was trying to say, that the delays of Jesus are intentional. And behind those delays is love for the people who are experiencing those delays. And even more than that, that through those delays, that the glory of God can become manifest. His delay was because he loved them. We often can't understand that, and we're desperate for him to answer our prayers immediately. And perhaps you've been going through a really trying time like that, where you've been crying out to the Lord, asking him to hear you, asking him to answer that prayer, because you're desperate for him to do that. Try to remember this passage, that the delays of Jesus may very well be a sign that he loves you and he wants you to be aware that in spite of that circumstance, he loves you and he's with you through that circumstance. So that's the background for the passage that was was read this morning. And what I want to do now is I want to look at very briefly three things. Jesus and Martha, then Jesus and Mary, and then Jesus and Lazarus and us. So let's look first at Jesus and Martha. When Jesus arrives outside of the village of Bethany, when he arrives there, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. 
And under normal circumstances, this would mean that the body is now going through putrefaction, corruption. That would have set in after four days in that context of the Middle East. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was near, she immediately left Bethany, went to the outside of the village, and, and, and came to Jesus to meet him. Mary stays back home. Martha's first words to Jesus are very poignant. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here. The note of disappointment, even of slight sort of implied criticism here. Jesus could easily have got there in time and could easily have healed Lazarus, so he would not have died. But she does go on to say, even now God will give you whatever you ask. But that whatever in Martha's mind did not include Lazarus being raised by Jesus at that point. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise. She replies, I know that he's going to rise at the last day of the resurrection of the dead. I know that that's going to happen in future. And then she thinks that Jesus has just been kind of comforting her by saying those words about the future resurrection. But in fact, Jesus has in mind a presence that he wants to give her now, a presence of raising him. And he makes one of those amazing I am statements. There are seven in the Gospel of John. And he says, this is verses 25 to 26. Why don't I just read it? 11, 25 to 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. No one who believes in me, sorry, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is the fifth of these great I am statements. And there's a kind of, the kind of clear looking back to the very name of God that God gave to Moses. When they ask, who are you? I am, was the reply of Yahweh of the Lord. I am. And Jesus says it seven times. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the resurrection and the life. This is such a majestic statement with clear overtones that Jesus is God. But it's only by faith that this truth can be grasped. And Jesus wants to kindle that kind of faith in, in uh, Martha's heart. He wants to kindle the faith in her heart that he is God and that he's victor victorious over death and that he can raise Lazarus to life. He wants her to have that kind of faith and he asks her, personally to appropriate because he says this is very very powerful this and when he says at the end of verse 26 at verse 26 do you you Martha do you believe this what's the this do you believe this do you believe the specific truths that I've been teaching that I'm the resurrection and the life that I'm the source of life, I'm the source of new life. The faith that saves 
has to be specific. It can't just be vague. It means believing what Jesus said about himself. There's an interesting um, example that I read somewhere years ago, and it goes something like this. It's a candidate for membership of a church, not the Anglican church, because this wouldn't happen in the Anglican church. What happens in this situation is the candidate is interviewed by the leaders of the church, the elders, about whether he should become a member. So they ask this candidate, what do you believe? Answer, I believe what the church believes. Tell me, what does the church believe? The church believes what I believe. (laughs) Just what do you and the church believe? We believe the same thing. (laughs) That's an example of vagueness of not saying precisely what it is we believe. Jesus said to Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection? And therefore, whoever believes in me will not die. They will not die, but they will live. Do you believe that I am the life, that everyone who believes in me shall never die? That is... They shall never experience everlasting, eternal death with separation from the God of love, from separation from Jesus. When Martha Martha is asked by Jesus, he's not just asking her to um, assent to truths, doctrinal truths about himself. Believe not in the fashion where many people in church life on a Sunday can rattle off the words of the creed. Do you believe this? Yes, we believe all that. It's not just a mental thing. By believing, Jesus means that the truths that you assert are transforming you. Transforming you in such a way that you're casting yourself upon the person of Jesus as your saviour and your all, your everything. These truths about Jesus can't simply be taken hold of with the mind. It's not a cerebral exercise. It doesn't matter how bright you are. It's got nothing to do with intelligence. It's got nothing to do with education. It has to do with your heart. The truth needs to be grasped by faith in such a way that the believer is gripped by them. This is why Jesus asks Martha to respond to himself personally. Do you believe this? This you is intensely personal. And Jesus asks each one of us here this morning, do you, Hartnett, do you, Mary, do you, John, do you, Alfred, do you believe this? There may be some sitting here this morning and Jesus wants to speak to you very personally. He wants to ask you these questions into your heart. And it's not a question of your mind. It's a question of your heart towards him. Now, Martha's answer was magnificent. Her answer to the question was amazing. Look at verse 27. She says this, Yes, Lord! She replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. 
with all her imperfections, which Luke goes into, all her imperfections, this was a marvelous statement of faith. In fact, it was slightly fuller than Peter's more famous confession in Caesarea Philippi. It was the wonderful words that Martha comes out with. Jesus had wanted to move Martha on from the orthodox Jewish view held also by the Pharisees that there would be a resurrection on the last day to believing with her whole being in this truth, having faith in him. We need sometimes to be liberated from just believing things with our mind, with our intellect, just upholding the orthodox doctrines of the church. And Jesus wanted Martha to appropriate these truths for herself in her heart in such a way that it would transform her. So let's look now at Jesus and Mary. Martha's response to Jesus' question, do you believe this, was soaring, was wonderful. She understood that Jesus was the fulfillment of all those Old Testament scriptures. You're the coming one, the Messiah, the Christ. It was wonderful. And she is full of light shining the light of God, his face shining upon her. And in that spirit, she goes rushing back into Bethany to tell Mary. She can't keep it to herself. That always happens when you've been gripped by the truth about Jesus. You want to tell someone. And she wants to tell her loved sister. So she comes and tells Mary. Then Mary goes rushing off to, to Jesus herself. And when Mary, the first words Mary speaks to Jesus are, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Exactly word for word, the words that Martha had spoken, which suggests that during these four days since his death, that's what they were talking about with each other. Where was Jesus? Where was Jesus? If Jesus had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Surely he could have come. And surely Lazarus would have been healed. In other words, they had great faith that Jesus could heal. Great faith that he could heal. Great faith in the power of Jesus. But they weren't quite sure whether he was really caring for them enough. Because if he'd been there, but he wasn't, and they sent message in time. Jesus had spoken with Martha, but he doesn't say a word to Mary. Why is that? I think it's because she was so overwhelmed with grief that the only response to be, could be grieving himself quietly. Sometimes it's not words that are needed. It's just being there with a person in their grief. And Jesus was so full of empathy, he could see that grief in Mary's heart. And so he, didn't say, he doesn't say a word to her. And in fact, he himself wept. He's moved to tears. Now the word comes twice in verse 33 and 38. It's translated in the NIV as deeply moved. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And again in verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved. That verb in the originally also means indignant 
angry. So he was deeply moved and he was indignant and there was a level of anger in Jesus' heart. What was he indignant, angry about? The sin and sickness and death in the world called, caused by the fall. He was angry at all the suffering that that brought, as he could see in Mary and the others who were genuinely grieving over what had happened. He was also angry that after three years of teaching, three years of teaching, there was still so much doubt about him. And even Martha, who'd had this amazing revelation of who Jesus was, the Messiah, the Son of God, this amazing revelation she'd received, still there was doubt in her heart, as is brought out by that when Jesus orders the stone to be moved from the tomb, Martha says, but Lord, there'll be a stench. Jesus says, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? What a contrast. The stench of death and the glory of God. Jesus knew as soon as he heard of Lazarus' serious illness, that all of this was to do with the glory of God. Go back to verse 4 of chapter 11, right at the beginning. It says this, When Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, this is, when Jesus heard this, he said, This illness will not end in death. No, it is for the God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. All at the grave, at the tomb, saw the same thing. Some saw and saw the glory of God. Others just saw. It's amazing. There are two kinds of seeing. It happened when Peter and John have that race to the tomb. When Jesus has died, he's in the, it's after his death, they run to the tomb, and the first one who gets there, John, goes in. He sees and believes. He sees the glory of God. Faith in his heart is born. Peter runs and goes in, and when he it just he just sees and he's doubtful and doesn't understand. That's to begin with. Okay, let's look now finally at Jesus and Lazarus and us. Jesus commands Lazarus to come out of the tomb back to life. It's a resuscitation. As Lazarus comes out into the light, death skulks back into the darkness. Wonderfully victorious is Jesus over death. And the miracle of raising Lazarus is the sign that Jesus truly is the resurrection and the life, the victor over death and the giver of life. It also reveals something really fascinating. It reveals the bond between Jesus and Lazarus, the friend who he loved. The bond goes like this, that wherever Lazarus was, he heard the voice of Jesus. Wherever Lazarus was, he knew the voice of Jesus. Wherever Lazarus was, he obeyed the voice of Jesus, come out. And it's like that with us. 
when we're the friend of Jesus, wherever we are, including after we've died, that bond with Jesus will never be broken. Wherever we are, we will hear the voice of Jesus. We will know that voice and we will obey that voice. So the miracle is a prophetic sign that those in Christ who are in the grave on the last day will hear that word, will know that word, and will obey that word of the Son of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a word on the grave clothes. Even after hearing Jesus, the call to come out, that is, Lazarus needed to be unbound. And I think there's a sort of marvellous significance of all that. Even after the wonder of coming to faith in Christ, we also, including myself, need to be unbound. What do we need to be unbound from? Our old attitudes, our prejudices, our habits, our addictions, whatever it is, that's, we still need to be unbound. And notice that Jesus told others to do that. We may well need the help of others so that we can be unbound, so that we can experience the freedom of the life that Jesus offers fully. So they, Jesus tells them to unbind Lazarus. Above all, we need the Holy Spirit to live the full life Jesus wants us to live. In the previous chapter, in chapter 10, verse 10 of John, Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And sometimes when you ask people, um, you know, why did Jesus come? The, most, the answer you will get most to that question is he came to, pay, he came to die for our sins. I don't think that's the right answer. The right answer is that I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. The dying is a means to that end. The end is that we have abundant life in Christ, the life of the Spirit, rather than the life in the flesh. Now I want to just finish um, in conclusion um, by um, just asking the Holy Spirit this morning um, to come and breathe life into us who've heard God's word. And perhaps, the, the, these are just some areas I thought of when I was preparing this sermon. Perhaps we ought to pray that our passion for Jesus, our hunger and thirst after him, like the deer panting for the water, that we ought to pray for that to be renewed. And also that we ought to pray for um, our relationships where there is fear and anxiety for Jesus to lift that, for the Holy Spirit to come and lift any fear and anxiety in our hearts and to revive our boldness in sharing about Jesus, that our faith will come, become courageous. Some of those kind of things. And also to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and revive gifts that we've kind of put to one side that he wants to be us to use again, gifts of the Spirit. So I'm just going to pray for a few moments now. Um, come Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit, we pray that you would breathe new life 
especially, Lord, into our relationship with you. Make us hungry and thirsty after you. Holy Spirit, would you bring great dynamism into our relationship with you? Would you renew that passion, Lord, that desire for you, that hunger and thirst for you? Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and renew that enthusiasm that we once had to tell others about you, to tell others about Jesus. Would you come and do that? Would you renew our courage, refresh that courage, that desire to speak for you? And Lord, where we've let go some of the gifts that you gave us in the past, we want to say that we're sorry. Come, Lord, and renew in our hearts the exercise of those gifts for your glory. Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. Empower us to live in the Spirit. Shine on our relationships. May we be in harmony with your new commandment that we love one another. Holy Spirit, will you enable us? May we be full of compassion and gentleness full of kindness, full of your spirit. And Lord, you're the God of hope. Will you renew hope, new hope in our lives? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you come and do that now, Holy Spirit? Overflow our hearts, Lord that that may flow out of us, that hope that we have as Christians, that joy and that peace that will impact people outside. Help us, Holy Spirit, to hear and listen to the words that you speak and to live by those words. Come and do all those things and lots of other things in our own hearts individually that we need you to do. Lord Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come. We want to live for you. We want to know that full life, that abundant life of living in the Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.